you for tuning in to the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. God, I thank you for the moments in your presence this morning while we were lifting our voices and you were doing work in our hearts, in our lives, healing wounds, setting us free, God, giving us hope. Lord, thank you so very much for being here in this place for allowing us to not just sing about it, not just sing words, but to feel your presence, to know that this is the truth, that you change everything. So God, we thank you. We thank you for these moments. Lord, we, we pray that you were honored in our worship, that our, our hearts made you smile this morning as we sang about you. And God, I pray that you would cement what you were stirring up in our hearts the areas that we needed to be healed, that you begin to speak to, the things that you begin to challenge us, the comforting words, the confidence that we need to have because of you. God, I pray that you would cement that in our hearts, that you would seal it so that we can take another step today and another one tomorrow and continue to grow and be who you want us to be. So God, thank you. Thank you for being here, Lord. We are excited even more so about what you have in store for us as individuals and us as a church. So we honor you. We give you praise this morning in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen with me this morning. Amen, amen. Worship team, thank you. Go ahead and make a little bit of noise for the Lord this morning. So let me... Let me help you just a, just a smidge before we jump in, because maybe if you came in, you're like, ah, that seemed a little off. I'm not sure what was happening right there. People were on their knees. It just seemed strange. Well, that's, you've walked into a place where when the presence of God shows up, it does different things to, to different people. Can you bring me down just, just a hair? I feel like I'm going to start ringing. And Oftentimes, it, it, it works in a way that, that helps me out. And so some people, you may experience them like they're, they're coming to tears because maybe God is doing something in the middle. Someone else might be praying out loud or, or it, may, it, it may affect one person this way and someone else is just kind of in, they feel peace. They're right there. And so what you're experiencing is God loving us individually and in the moments when his presence is here and we open ourselves up to him, he can do incredible things in us. And so it, it's different for everyone. It's not that, and I'm glad for that. I'm glad it's not everybody doing one thing that God cares enough about you that today he may have just spoke words and you might have heard for the first time that he loves you. Or there might have been something, a, a hurt that you've been holding on to and he may have just gently nudged and said, I got that, give it, give it here, put it in my hand. Or you might have just felt a, a sensation of, of a warmth or whatever it may be. But that, that's just God. That's God doing, doing his thing. And he will continue to do that. The more I'm looking for asking him to, to intersect in my life and to change things inside of me, that's what happens. And that's what we were experiencing this morning. And that's why we just kind of took a little bit of extra time to be right there in that moment to let God do what he wanted to do. And all of that leads me to say this once again. I love my church. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I, I, and I like that you guys clap when I say it. Like, that makes me feel even better. And once again, I want to share with you some of the reasons why you love this church. Check this out. I love my church because I love my pastors. I love the people. Um, they are so loving, so welcoming. And no matter who you are, you will feel loved as soon as you walk in the door. I have my church with I have the pastor, and he's weird, and I have his wife, she's funny, and I have the kids, and Phil is so annoying, he likes stealing people's food for some weird reason, I don't know why, and I have his wife too, Lori, and the daughter. I love my church because as soon as I walked in, it felt like home. I love my church because my pastor is anointed, the announcements are always creative and fun, and our worship team always sets the place on fire. I love being a part of the community here and the loving people and atmosphere. I love my church because kids, the kids area is fun and they play crazy music. I love my church because I get to go to the Kids church every Sunday, which is really fun to play with Josiah. <clears throat> trying to make people cry, putting in these little kids in there. Oh, man. If, if you have something you want to share, a reason why you love this church, um, you can share that. We make that an opportunity for each, each one of us to, to do that. And so it's in the conference room, out these doors and to your left, if you want to record that after service. Just one thing. Maybe it's 10 or 20 seconds. You saw some of them were a little bit longer than that. But you don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to have uh, five points of why you love this church. If you just share one, like, it's incredible. Thank you for doing that. It, it always makes me excited and, and makes my heart even bigger for this church as I get to hear why you love this church and why we get to be a part of this together. And this series has been a series where we have been looking at the values that we will have as a community, what will guide us as we continue to move forward as a body of believers or as this church here, as New Vision Christian Center. And last week we talked about community and how life is better together. And each week we've been taking a look at some of the things that will guide us. And so this week, let's talk about being a contributor. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being here in this place. We thank you for your presence, for your power. Lord, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our hearts today. And Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, that it will sink deep down into who we are. It will take root. It will change us. It will grow us. It will stretch us. And as we leave today, we will be changed. We will be more like you and less like how we were when we came in the building. And so God, speak to us today. Challenge us, convict us, tell us things, even if we're not gonna like it, Lord, I pray that we will be open to that, that we will be willing to hear your voice and follow you wherever you ask us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what an amazing football season we had this year, right? Like, I feel like this. We could have Red Sunday again next week, and everybody would have some kind of chief shirt again. Not just a regular chief shirt, but a Super Bowl champion chief shirt. Like, what an incredible season, right? Here's what I love. 
When we play well, you don't even have to like football to like the Chiefs. You see people that have no idea about football, but they're just excited about a winning team. And something was really cool this year. My son began to watch football more than ever. And, and what was, now he's only eight, so I say that, and it's like, all right, he might have watched a little bit each week. But he hadn't really done that before. He hadn't sat down and, and watched. And, and he would always kind of leave before the rest of us needed to take our high blood pressure medication um, as the season went on, right? I know some of you were probably thinking, I hope I don't have to go to the doctor this week because my blood pressure is going to be off the charts. Because no one, no one in history goes through the playoffs spots the other team multiple points, and then comes back and wins, even in the Super Bowl. And now I know, I'm sure there were some of us in here that, like, oh, Pastor, I knew that it was going to happen. I believed that, you know, that Jesus told me, had, whatever. He didn't tell me. I was nervous. <laughs> but Jordan began to watch football a little bit more this season, and, and he began to ask me, like, players' numbers and, and who was this person. And, you know, he knows who Patrick Mahomes is. He knows who Travis Kelsey is. And he's asking me numbers and how it works. And, and when they scored, he wanted to know who scored. And who threw touchdown? Did Patrick throw a touchdown, Dad? He did. Did he throw it to Tyreek Hill? Yes, he threw it to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is fast. He sure is. We had such, such a great team. I mean, the defense was way better this year than it was last year. We had people with nicknames all over the place. We had cheetahs and honey badgers. They could have called Andy Reid the zookeeper. Like, they could have done different things like that. And then something else began to happen this year. As Jordan began to get involved with, with what was happening, um, it, it changed something. He didn't want to just watch football. He wanted to play football. So he, my mom got him this football, and on this football, it had tons of different plays drawn up, different routes that you could run. And so before school, this is how deep it got. Before school, we're waiting for the bus, not playing catch, but running plays. And he would bring me the football, and he'd look, he's like, I'm going to do a number seven this time, Dad. I'm like, okay, cool. And I would hike the ball. He would wait for me to hike the ball. He had to learn what offsides was and, and false starts, all of that stuff. So he, he runs to square in. Boom, I hit him. He catches the ball. He gets excited. We do it all over again. We're playing. We're playing. We're playing. He, he reminded me of something that oftentimes we forget that it's way more fun to participate than it is to spectate. It's way more exciting when I'm involved and I'm actively doing something than it is when I'm just sitting on the sideline. Now, obviously, there's more risk when you get involved when you play, especially as you get older. Hamstrings tend to get blown when you try to run with your kids. At least that's my experience. But he reminded me, man, when I participate, it's so much more exciting. When, when I begin to contribute, it's so much more exciting than just consuming what is going on. And that truth is for football and other sports and life in general, and especially as we follow Christ. See, he doesn't just want us to watch from the sidelines. God is hoping that we will contribute to building the kingdom. That's why we're wearing our shirts today. We are going to build until it's finished because God has asked us not to just watch other people do it, but he's hoping that we will get involved. He is hoping that we will participate, that we will contribute, that we won't just sit back and say, what's in it for me? How am I going to get fed? What's life going to look like for me? But it's, no, God, how can I play a role? Where do I fit? What can I do? I want to contribute. Tribute, I don't just want to consume. I believe that we all really want to do that. 
We all really want to be a part of the kingdom. We want to contribute. We don't just want to show up and have things handed to us. We want to bring something to the table. But sometimes we just feel like we can't. Some of it is simply time. Some of us are are, are at a particular spot in our lives where we feel like time has passed us by, like our time, our best work is behind us, our best years are behind us, our best energy is behind us. God probably doesn't need me anymore. And we begin to explain away why we we can no longer contribute because if I can't do it like I used to, God probably doesn't want what I have now. Or sometimes we look at the time that we've missed, the opportunities that we've let slip through our fingers and figure, well... God probably doesn't want to take a risk on me again. And for some of us, it's, it's the interactions that we've had growing up. Some of us experience these, these dreaded moments that we see in TV shows and movies where teams are being picked and kids are being picked all around you, but you're never the one picked. You're not even the last person to get picked. You're not picked at all. Some of us know how that feels. Some of us right now, we're envisioning sitting in a gym on a baseball field, on a football field. We're right back in that moment. We're 10 again. We're 6 again. We're 12. We're 15. We just want to play, but they don't see value in us. They don't see enough in us to put us on their team. They make us feel like we don't have enough of whatever it is it takes. We don't have enough strength, enough speed, enough ability, enough intellect, enough money. We're not tall enough. We're not short enough. We're not fast enough. Whatever it is, there's something that we're missing that makes other people not choose us. And it makes us feel like whatever it is that we have isn't worth bringing to the table anymore. No one really wants what I have. So if no one else around me wants it, how can God really want to use what I have to build the kingdom? So this morning, I want to take some time and look at a story that Jesus told so that we can be reminded of some truths that we might have forgotten. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. And as you are turning there, let me set the stage for what we are getting ready to read. Jesus has been having conversation after conversation with his disciples, explaining things in more detail with them than he does with other people. And he's been talking a lot about what the kingdom of heaven is like and letting them know what things look like As the kingdom of heaven is now invaded earth, what does that look like? What does it feel like? How do I understand what God is like? And then he begins to talk about the future. He begins to let them know, here's what's going to happen next. He reminds, I mean, how many times have we read in the gospels, Jesus letting them know, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to raise from the dead. And they still missed it, right? He said it over and over again. So these are one of these moments where he's telling them, this is going to happen next. He tells the disciples, and he tells us as we're reading to be watchful, that at some point he's going to return, and we need to expect the fact that he's going to return, and this is how we should live in his absence. In, in the beginning of chapter 25, he gives the parable of the ten virgins, and the moral of that story is simply this, be ready, be expectant, be watching. He's going to return at any time, and then this is what he says next. In verse 14, It says, the kingdom of heaven, or for it will be like a man going on a journey. And he called his servants and entrusted them, entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. Now let me 
help you to understand who we're seeing in this story. Because the parable has connection to real life. And in this story, the man is Jesus. Jesus is the master. He is the one going away on a journey. And guess who the servants are? There we go. See? We are the servants. And, and I want you to see what is happening as he's getting ready to go away. He gives each of the servants something to take care of. He gives them talents. It was never theirs, right? He gives us something of his. He's giving us gifts. And this leads us to our very first truth. You have gifts. This story just isn't about the money that God has placed in your hand and how you should steward that. We'll talk about that at another point in time. But this story is about the gifts, the talents, the skills, the things that God has gifted you with. You have them. Sometimes we struggle with this. We hear this and we're like, nah, I don't I don't really know if, that, if that's really like it is. As I began to read the story, there are probably a few of us in the room that automatically jump to, well, I guess if we have to have gifts, I'm the one with one. We almost never feel like the one with two or, or, or especially the one with five. We would probably point at some people that we feel like have five, but we almost always feel like we have one. And then, you know, the next thought that we have, that ain't fair. We, we begin to feel like God is holding out on us. Why, why do I only get one? You know, this story has eight talents. He did five, two, one. It would have been better for God to have given uh, nine talents out. Then he could have divided it equally among the three. Everybody gets three. Everybody gets the same. We want to spread it out equally because there are no favorites. God has no favorites, right? That's what we feel like. We may not say that out loud, but sometimes we don't hold on to this truth that we have gifts because we feel like whatever gift we have is unfair. Someone else has more. God did this. But here's the thing. We get frustrated with this because we have one and they have five. But let me, let me give it to you like this. I have two kids. One of them is 11. The other one is eight. If I was going to give one of my kids money to be responsible with to save for a few days to purchase something for both of them, I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to give it to my eight-year-old. I'm going to give it to my 11-year-old who has demonstrated the ability to be more responsible. I can trust her with what I give her because she has shown me to be trustworthy. Now, when she was eight, look, I thought I could trust her with everything at eight. We sent her to kids camp one time. I want, she's laughing because she knows the end of the story. I gave her money to spend, right? I'm a sucker. I'll just, I love my kids. If they ask for stuff and Mel's not around, they get it. Like, I'm just... That's just who I am. So I want her to be able to buy stuff at camp. I give her like 35 bucks, my money. Like not, not like our family, we didn't go to the bank or anything. Like I had money saved away and I said, here, baby, you can have this. Okay, perfect. So she comes back. I said, how much money do you have left over? She said, well, about that, dad. She began to tear up. She lost the money in the middle of the week. But you know what I learned that day? I learned she wasn't ready for that responsibility yet. You know what else I learned? I learned that God treats us the same way because he knows us. 
And in that moment, I was as excited as I was to give my daughter that money, to trust her with that. I saw the heartbreak that she had because she lost what I gave her. And you know what? As a father, I don't want my, my daughter to experience that. I don't want to give her a gift that she's not ready for. I don't want to give her something that when she messes up, it stresses her out, it overwhelms her, and it crushes her. Can I tell you that your heavenly father is just the same? Can I tell you that he knows you well enough to know that maybe right now what he's given you is exactly what you can handle, is exactly what is responsible for you to have, and as you work with that, then he can do more. He doesn't treat us the same, and it's okay that he doesn't treat us the same because he loves you, and he knows you. He knows what you can handle he cares too much about us to just give us whatever we want because we feel like we want it. We feel like we need it. He wants to grow us and grow our capacity for more. Kingdom works like this. Faithful with little, get more. Faithful with little, get more. The problem is we want to be faithful with nothing and be entrusted with everything. That's why I get mad at God when I don't have what I feel like... Well, what did you, no, 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 I just want it all, God. What have you, no, 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 just give me more. See, we get frustrated with him. We, we, we don't want to experience what it's like to be grown. We just want this. Give it here. I need it. I want it. The fact that you have gifts is something that we have to embrace whether we feel like the gifts have been distributed fairly or not, I have to begin to imagine that God loves me so much that he created me and he took his time with me. He took his time with you. He put something deep down inside you because he loves you. He didn't just create you with potential. He didn't just put things inside that potentially will show up. And so if you don't really realize your potential and live up to your potential, that maybe you'll miss out. No, no, no. He didn't place potential inside you. He placed purpose inside you. He made you with a purpose. He gave you things to fulfill that purpose that are deep down inside. We have to begin to embrace this truth that we have gifts. You have a gift. Let's keep reading. Verse 16 says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with him. He made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent, he went and dug it in the ground, dug in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward. He brought five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. I made you five more. The master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Do you, do you see the kingdom principle? You were faithful over little. Check this out. The guy who had one probably looked at the guy who had five like he had everything. What did Jesus say to him? You've been faithful over little. Now I can give you more. Even the five that we think so much is unfair that I don't have and I only get this. God is still saying, look, it's still, be responsible here and then you get, let me get back to the scriptures here. Kingdom principles. Master, here's the next guy. The one with two, he came up. Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I made you two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, he who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid 
I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here is what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And, when I come, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. I want to stop here and let you in on kind of where we are in this story. In the balance of time, we are hanging out in between verses 18 and 19. Jesus, God, has given us gifts, and we are waiting for his return. He's yet to come back, but when he does, he's going to ask, what have we done? And there are a lot of different messages that I could preach from this parable. We could talk about celebration and separation. We could talk about good and faithful servant. We could talk about all those things, but I want to focus on a couple of things, a couple of truths. See, not only were we created with gifts, not only do you have a gift, but God has given each of us a choice. You have a choice. What will you do? What will I do? with what God has given us, with the gifts, the talents, the skills that he's placed inside of each of us, what will you do? He desperately hopes that you will use them. You can read it in the text. You can see that he wants us to do something with what we're given, but he will not force us to contribute. He will not force us into being a contributor. He wants that to be your heart. He wants you to take whatever it is that, he's been, that you've been given and use it not only have a gift, you have a choice. Let me put it to you this way. You have a choice of which servant you will be. Faithful, unfaithful. Pastor Kevin, that's kind of harsh. I'm just looking at the story. There's, there wasn't the middle. There were only two things that, that Jesus said, that the master said to the servants, you were either a faithful or you were unfaithful. Now, I know that in that choice of what to do with what God is giving us, a lot of us are like, but it's not that easy. I kind of want to do something. I'm not sure what I can do with it. There are a lot of different emotions running around in our mind, in our hearts, in what we should do with this choice. I mean, sometimes we feel like we don't really have anything. We, we, we don't have what someone else has. What do you expect me to do when, when he's got way more gifts than I do? What you've given me is, nah, when I look at what you've given them. When I begin to compare what God has given me to what God has given other people, oftentimes it makes me forget that I still have a gift. Because comparison kills. You want to end relationships early? Compare it to other people's relationships. Do You want something that's incredibly unique, incredibly beautiful to turn into something average and ordinary. Look through it with the lens of what someone else has. Then I begin to not even see what God has given me. So I, sometimes we tell God we won't use it because he didn't give us the same stuff he gave other people. Well, God, if you would have given me the skills that they have, then uh, I would have done something with it. But since you didn't give me what I think I should have had, I'm out. Other times we're just like the, the servant here, we're afraid. That's what he told the master. He said, man, I, look, I was afraid. I didn't know what to do. Some of us are afraid, but we'd use other words so that it doesn't sound like we're afraid. I'm just being very cautious. 
you know what, I'm, I'm investigating. I, I'm, I'm fleecing right now. I'm fleecing God to see if this is truly what he would have for me to do. You know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play it safe. I'm just being cautious and careful. I wanna make sure that wherever God wants me to go, I'm, I'm 100% certain that that's what he wants. See, we say a lot of different things to cover up the simple truth that we're afraid. We're afraid we won't measure up. We're afraid that the people that told us that we weren't going to be anything in life, it'll be true. We're worried that the comparisons that we were told at an early age, that you're not as good as your brother, as your sister, you're not like the perfect cousin over here with the perfect life, with the perfect grades, and now the perfect family, and the perfect marriage, and the perfect career. You don't have any of that. You never did, and so you feel like no matter what you do, you never measure up. We're afraid of having that feeling that we had as a teenager, as an adult. We feel and we're afraid that we will never be more than we are right now. That what we have is, it's not the best, but man, if I try something else, what if I lose even what I have right now? All the things that they said about me would be right. I would never be more than what my mom was like. I would never be more than what my dad was like. I would never be more than this. I make one mistake, and this is the box they paint me in. And I'm afraid that that's where I'll always be. Sometimes we're simply afraid of failing. We're afraid of failing the master. We're afraid of letting other people down. Some of us are people pleasers to the core, and when we disappoint other people, it crushes us. And I'm afraid of doing that. I'm afraid of making a step in the wrong direction of this person being disappointed and upset and and sad or angry with me because I didn't do it quite the way they wanted me to do it. So we decide to stay out. We don't contribute anymore. It's safer to be on the outside because I'm afraid of what can happen if I get involved. And and then we, we roll back around to what we have is insignificant. The gifts that I have, the talents that I have, the skills that I have, we believe that it's little and it's not really worth much at all. So why even bother bringing it to the table? Because what I have really doesn't make a difference anyways. So we never use it. Because whether I use it or not, it doesn't really matter. Whether I show up or not, it doesn't really matter. I don't really matter much. And so with all of those different emotions, when it comes to our choice, sometimes we choose nothing. And by choosing nothing, we choose to dig a hole. And we put what God has given us in this hole. But you know what happens as we dig this hole for what God has given us, we end up being stuck in that hole with it. It's not just something where we hide one part. It's where we end up hiding. We feel like if we never try, then we'll never fail. I'll never disappoint anyone if I hide in this hole, if I hide my life, my gifts, my talents. If I stay right here and never try, then it's safe. And it's true, if you never try, you will never fail. But if you never try, you will also never succeed. You will never get to experience what it's like when God comes in and multiplies your gift and he anoints your gift and he uses what you've given to do things that you can't even imagine. If you stay stuck in that hole, you never experience that. We have a choice. And whatever excuse it is that keeps us from being involved, it keeps us from contributing, here's the, here's the simple fact. Our excuses don't eliminate the expectations. My kids will play downstairs. I have people over. Afterwards, I'll tell them, you need to make sure you put everything back. You clean up. It's the expectation I've given them. 
About 10 minutes later, here's normally what happens in my house. I go downstairs. I expect the downstairs to be clean. And then I bump into my kids. What's going on? Well, and then there's a plethora of excuses why the basement did not get cleaned up. They were still, my friends were still playing and I didn't want to and then they wouldn't let me and then I had to go to the bathroom and then what I thought you meant was that I could clean up whenever and so I thought I could, dun, 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 dun. you know what, at the end of the day, the conversation ends just like this. The expectation was for you to clean up. No excuse that is given eliminates the expectation. God is hoping, praying, and expecting us to use our gifts and even if I have a valid excuse, if I feel justified in not using what he's given me, it doesn't eliminate the expectation of me using it. He created us. It's not mine. It's his. He gave it. He wants me to use it. And sometimes we get so caught up in not having enough that we fail to realize that it's still different gifts, but it's the same expectations. He might have given me one and you two or and you five, but he expects me to use what he's given me. Pastor, you don't understand. I got all this stuff going on. Here's what, it, it doesn't matter. Here's what else I know. Not only do you have gifts, do you have a choice, but you have value. You have value. We overlook this so often in our own lives. We see it in other people. We can point at it. We can have conversations, and we can encourage them, but we miss it for ourselves. But I want to tell you, today you have value because of who put what inside you. He knows it's there. The truth is God put something inside you that gave you value. Let's look at it even from the perspective of the story. The man who had one felt like one wasn't anything at all. He was so worried about losing the one thing. Do you know that a talent was worth 6,000 denarii? Now, a denarius is the singular of denarii. One denarius was one day's wage. A talent was worth 6,000 days of work. Almost 20 years the man was so caught up in what everyone else had and feeling like the little that he had, he failed to miss that he had a lifetime's worth of something in his hand. He had a lifetime's worth of value, of purpose, of skills, of gifts, and he failed to realize it. Don't allow yourself to miss the simple point that even if you're the person with one, you still have a lifetime's worth of value because God put it in there. And you don't have value because I'm telling you you have value. You have value because God put it inside of you. He knows it's there. He put it there. He sees it inside you. Every time that he sees you, he knows what's there. Let me tell you what he says about you in Ephesians chapter 2. It's going to pop up on the screen in verse 10. One of my favorite verses of all time. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do what? So that we could do good things he what? So we could do good things that he planned for us long ago. 
You can look at it from a lot of different perspectives. In some translations, it says workmanship, which means that he took time with his hands to work on you, to craft you, to put you together, to knit you together, to make you who you are. He spent time on you because he loves you. And when he was done, he didn't look at it and say, man, that's junk. He doesn't make junk. He makes masterpieces. It doesn't matter what anybody else has told you in your life. It doesn't matter what someone told you yesterday about who you were, about you not being good for anything, about your life not mattering. They don't get an opinion. God already said you're a masterpiece. You are handcrafted on purpose for a purpose. And when you begin to think about it, you were so valuable to God that he sent his very son to give his life so that we could be reconciled to him, so that he could release us to the rest of the world. He didn't die because we had no value, so that we could stay stuck in our holes, so that we could be safe. He didn't die for any of that. He died to unleash you on the world. He died to release you so that other people could see what he's done in your life, so that he could say, this is my masterpiece. Let me put it on display. Look what I did. Other people couldn't see it. Other people didn't know it, but I knew it all along because I put it all together this way. And you don't just have value, but man, you have a place. 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul begins to paint this incredible picture of the body of Christ. Not only do you have gifts and choice and value, but a place because we are all needed to make up the body of Christ. Each and every one of us, the body works best when everyone plays their part. When everyone gets involved and becomes who they're supposed to be, that's when it's great because we're all different and still God can put us all together and it's something incredibly beautiful. And we don't have to feel like what we're bringing to the table is insignificant because even if I'm the pinky toe, stub your pinky toe and see how vital it is. See how much the rest of the body hurts when the smallest insignificant pieces are hurting. All of us hurts. And how do we get things done together? We can't all be the hands. We can't all be the eyes. We can't all be the arms. But we can play the role that we're supposed to be and beautifully represent Jesus to the world. And man, there's place for you here in this community of believers because you have gifts You have a choice of whether or not you're going to use those gifts, and you have value, but there's a place. Some of you need to be looking for your place here. You need to look and say, can I be on the worship team? Do I have gifts that God has given you that you're only allowing yourself to make money from these gifts, but you're not giving them back to the one who's given them to you? There's places for you here. There's hospitality areas that you can be involved in. You can help us by smiling at people as they walk onto our property. In the spring, we're going to start a parking lot ministry. I'm going to need people that are going to smile and greet people, not just point at parking spaces, but someone that's going to love people from the moment they set foot on the campus or the moment their car rolls into our parking lot. And then we need people to love on them as they come through the doors. Ushers that aren't going to be, sit down, but ushers are going to love people and help them to their spots. We need people to help out with the next generation. 
Our nursery is growing. We're making plans to, to add nursery space to the church. We're, we need people to volunteer there with kids, with youth. There's servant events. There's outreaches. We have another block party coming up next month before Easter. We need people for that. There'll be missions trips. There'll be work days. There'll be plenty of things that you can get involved in. The thing is you have to make a choice. I have to make a choice. And I hope that you find that this isn't just a place to fit, that this is a place to fit incredibly well, that you can begin to flourish, that, that you begin to, to live out how Romans 12 paints it, that we can begin to be the body and use all of these gifts and God's glory is shown and people look at it and like, oh my gosh, that's what it means to follow Christ? This is the love you have for each other? This is how you work together? This is what it looks like? I want to be a part of that. Oh, man, I love my church. I love how we want to be contributors to the kingdom. And I would imagine right now that in all of our lives and in the sphere of influence that we have, there are people waiting, hoping for something more in their own life, hoping for hope, hoping for change, wishing their life was different. And I wonder if maybe they're waiting to begin for us to begin to be a contributor. I wonder if they're waiting for us to use what God has given each of us to get involved in building the kingdom wonder if that's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for us to embrace the truth that we have gifts, that we have a choice, that we have value, that we have a place. Let's not keep them waiting anymore. Even, even as I begin to talk about this, you have a place that, that there's this, this overarching design Sometimes we, we miss it. We, we think that we don't matter, Pastor. Somebody else does, but not me. I don't, I don't really get it. You don't get me. I don't get this. None of this makes sense. My life, you don't know my life. You don't know my story. You don't know. All we know is sometimes, man, our life just feels like this just feels like this little weird-looking piece. Can't really make out what it is. Sometimes it looks cool. Other times it just looks like a hot mess. And it feels like a hot mess. And I walk around in my life, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, I wish I mattered. I wish I could find a place where this belongs. I wish I could find something that I could attach myself to. Some part of me wants to be connected with other but this is all I, all I have. But then God begins to say, no, 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 no. There's something else that you don't quite see. That it's not just this. But there's a grand picture that as he looks over all of humanity, he sees. And it takes each of us to, to finally come to the realization that, oh, it's not just this. that I can be attached to something else that there's a place for me, that maybe what looks like it makes absolutely no sense, that it's ugly, that it's distorted, maybe there's a bigger picture. Maybe that there's something else. And maybe as I begin to see other people figuring it out, finding 
what they have, finding where they belong, that what didn't look like much before now is starting to make more sense. There might be a place for me. My small piece of my life that doesn't look like, feel like much might be a masterpiece after all. But now it makes sense. thought made absolutely no sense is beginning to come into view. That, that what seemed unimportant, that seemed like it didn't matter at all, no one knows how frustrating this is to have it all but one piece, but then I finally begin to find my spot. And when I jump in, I see that the value that was there all along, that my puzzle piece, that didn't make any sense by itself. Suddenly it belongs to the master. Suddenly it belongs to a masterpiece. Suddenly it means more. This is what me being a contributor looks like. And for people that are looking for their places, they see you finding yours. As they see you contributing, they begin to believe that they have a spot too. Today, I'm going to take this after service. I'm going to put it in the lobby. Grab a, a piece, two at the most, so that you can be reminded as you travel this week, as you move around, as you engage people, you can have this in your pocket, in your desk, wherever it may be, but you can be reminded, man, I have a gift I have a choice whether or not I'm going to use it. I have value. I have a place. It can remind you of the bigger picture, the things that God's hoping that we use. He wants us to be used. He wants us to contribute to the kingdom, not just consume, not just sit back and be fed, but get involved with what he's doing. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just close your eyes for a second? Maybe today is the day that the voice of God has begun to sound a little bit more clear in your ears. That today he's asking you if you would trust him. Maybe you hear him today telling you that you are valuable. And because he loves you, he sent his son to pay the price for your sins. The son didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He rose from the grave. He defeated all of that so that we could have a new life. Maybe today you hear him say that to you, that how he's choosing you, he's picking you, he wants you. He hopes that you will connect with him. You're important to him. 
So before we leave, I'm going to pray. I would ask for you to repeat this prayer with me. And, and if you mean it, whether it's the first time you pray it or the hundredth time you pray it, this will reconnect or connect your heart to God's. will bring you into relationship with him. Everything can change. Would you repeat after me and say, Jesus, I need you. I give you my life. I thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for giving me new life, new hope, new direction. I'll take it all. I give you everything I am, all of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my passion, all of my gifts, they're yours. I accept you as my Lord and I'll follow you forever. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, well, I'm gonna count to three, and if you prayed that prayer, I just want you to lift your hand up. If you prayed that this morning, and that meant something to you, you gave your life to Christ, you reconnected with him. When I say three, I want you to shoot your hand up in the air. We wanna celebrate with you today. So I'm gonna give you to the count of three. It's one, get ready. I know that some of you reconnected with Jesus this morning, two, your life is never going to be the same. Three, if you pray that prayer, shoot your hand up today. I see that hand. I see that hand. Come on, let's celebrate this morning. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. Please share your story and partner with us financially at newvisiongrandview.com.